So Psalm 119 verses 9 to 16. We're starting 2021 by looking at the landscape of our lives. And uh, we're noticing that God shows up in our lives in different ways as we go through different seasons of life. And maybe we could put up that landscape of life slide that we um, had up last week. Just to remind us, we last week looked at eruption moments. These um, you could also call spiritual renewals. You could call them mountaintop experiences. These are times where God's presence and God's love and God's power just sort of spontaneously bubble up in our lives, filling us often with joy and with zeal and with commitment. Sometimes these are powerful and dramatic times. Sometimes they're soft and sweet. But however we experience them, these are times where God's presence feels really close for us and to us. Then uh, next week, Gina Mueller will be with us, and she'll be helping us think about earthquake moments. We just had a national earthquake this past week, and we can have personal earthquakes as well. Something very big happens, something momentous, and in a moment, our lives are changed, maybe forever. Often leaving us with our heads and our hearts reeling and piles of rubble to clean up. So those are earthquakes. Then the week after that, we are going to finish off um, by looking at seasons of erosion. These are slow, drawn out times. Um, Venus kind kind of alluded to these times in her life, times of waiting, times when it doesn't, like God's given you a promise, but you haven't seen it fulfilled and you wonder how long it's going to be until it happens. These are times of wearing away that call for patience and perseverance and faithfulness. Um, And and that's what we need to do, even if we don't feel, we can't feel or see like God is there with us. And for many of us, 2020 has been a season of erosion. And we're all wondering if it's going to be over soon. Well, today we're going to talk about excavation. I'm not doing these in order because they don't happen in order in our lives. There's no particular order to them. Um, Of the four seasons, excavation is the one that we actually have the most control over. It's the one that most involves our initiative and our active participation. Last week, I, I mentioned that the way that God works in our lives isn't uniform or linear. It isn't just about putting in time on a time clock. And I use the Greek word for time, chronos, to describe this sort of clock time, calendar time that's measured in days and weeks and, and hours. But I pointed out rather that God often works in kairos time, which is another Greek word for time, um, that the Bible uses, and, and but this this is a different kind of time. This, this is for seasons. Kairoses are seasons that are unique, or moments that are unique, that are pregnant with with possibility. Moments when God is stepping in to do a new thing and a unique thing. Um, by the way, we can take the slide down now. I think. Um, and and eruptions and earthquakes and erosions are all examples of uh, various types of kairos times, kairos moments. And so are seasons of excavation, which we're talking about today. 
Um, but of the four different types of, of seasons, excavation is the closest to happening in Kronos time, in everyday time. Of the four, excavation is the most about those daily habits and disciplines and faithful patterns week in and week out. Excavation is about daily digging for more of God and more of God's refreshing and life-giving presence. And so we're going to think about excavation in two ways. On the one hand, sometimes we're in a season of life where we feel particularly called or convicted or motivated to dig for God, to pursue God, to excavate for more of God's presence. But on the other hand, excavation is also just about those daily, weekly disciplines of spending time with God, whether we feel like it or not. To help us think about the four seasons in our, our landscape, uh, we've been looking at examples from the life of King David, um, the best known king of Israel, Israel's greatest king in the Old Testament. And, and then we've been um, looking at the Psalms, many of which David wrote for more insight, more detail, more up close and personal uh, heart evidence of what these seasons look like when we actually experience them. And if you just read the Psalms, you see evidence everywhere that King David was a man in the habit of digging for God. He was an excavator. He was a man who prayed. That's what many of the Psalms are. They're his prayers. And he was a man who studied, who memorized, who meditated on God's word. We see this particularly in our scripture for today, which is one section of a very long Psalm, Psalm 119. And actually, David probably didn't write Psalm 119, but it's the kind of thing he could have written. And in fact, if you read Psalm 19, which um, we mentioned earlier in the service, which David did write, and which Steve Morrow looked at with us uh, last fall, it, Psalm 19 reads a lot like Psalm 119, at least the second half of it. In fact, I sort of wonder if whoever wrote Psalm 119 Today's psalm took as their inspiration Psalm 19, which David had written, and said, you know what, I'm going to elaborate on this. And thus we have Psalm 119. Both Psalms, 19 and 119, are about God's word and about digging for God in God's word. God's word is not the only place that we dig for God. We dig for him in prayer. We dig for him in journaling. We dig for him in worship, we dig for him in discipling relationships, but it's the one that, that we're going to talk about today. God's word is very important to Community Bible Church. It's why Bible is right in the middle of our name. And so as we look at the second section of, of Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16, let me start us off with a question. What is the driving passion of this section of scripture that we're looking at today? What's the driving passion? Well, let me give you an analogy to, to describe it. I grew up eating really good New York pizza. My mom was from Queens. And wherever we lived growing up, first in the Poconos, then near Scranton, she always had a knack for finding the best New York style pizza around. The only problem was when I was a little kid, I wouldn't eat it. I would only eat the crust. To me, the rest of it looked and felt slimy and gross. And my parents would be like, 
oh man, this is so good. Why don't you try it? And I was like, no way. It looks gross. I just want the crust. (laughs) My parents had something wonderful that they wanted to share with me. They wanted me to experience the enjoyment of what they were enjoying. And that's what the psalmist is trying to do for us in today's psalm. The psalmist is saying, taste it, try it, and see that the Lord is good. Taste God's word, give it a try, and you'll taste the goodness of God. It's so good, it's so delicious, it's so nourishing, it's so life-giving. Is that your experience of God's word? Or are you like me as a young kid that, that eating with the pizza that you're not so sure? Well, let me help us think about why we might not be convinced by the psalmist that God's word is so awesome. I can think of some reasons why. And, and um, we're, we're, gonna get, we're getting to the reason now that I had you bring an onion um, for, the, for the sermon today. Because like an onion, God's word can be dry and crusty when you first get into it, right? Have you ever experienced that? It, it can be dense. It, in places, can be hard to understand. After all, it's translated from a different language. And, and much of what we read took place a long time ago in a very different and maybe unfamiliar culture. And so some of the customs, some of the expressions, some of the ways of thinking may feel foreign to us. Some of the names might be hard to pronounce or unfamiliar. I mean, what best-selling New York Times author today goes on for chapter and chapter giving us genealogies at the beginning of their novel, name after name after name, right? It's, we don't, it's a different culture. We're living in a different time. So that can be one reason that, that the Bible might feel crusty to us. Another reason is that we may not always like what we read, some of what we read. Some of it maybe feels uncomfortable, either because God is punishing people in some harsh ways, or God is asking something of us which we're not sure we want to give, or God is making some extraordinary claim that we find hard to believe. I mean, if you don't struggle with some of what's in the Bible, you haven't taken it seriously yet. Let's just be honest. And so on the surface, it can be dry and crusty, maybe feel irrelevant, maybe boring, maybe confusing, maybe uncomfortable. But when you stick with it, when you put in the time and you start peeling back the layers like an onion, the Bible gets more tender It gets more juicy, and if you keep at it, as it speaks to your heart, like an onion, it might even make you cry. And so the psalmist is speaking to us as someone who has been faithfully peeling back the layers of God's word. And he's saying, stick with it. Don't give up. God's word is awesome. It's totally worth the effort. Notice the language that the psalmist uses to express this to us. Verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. The psalmist isn't reading God's word, isn't digging for more of God just out of duty or obligation. No, his heart is in it. He desires to do it. Verse 14, 
I rejoice, he says, in, in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. As the psalmist has dug into God's word down through the layers, he's found great riches and it's made him rejoice. And so he continues, verse 16, I delight in your decrees. The psalmist is enthusiastic. He, he's saying to us, come on, dig into God's word with me. Peel back the layers. It's awesome. He's, he's like my parents trying to get me to try that good New York pizza. Notice something else. What is the psalmist delighting in? Not just any part of God's word, but depending on your translation, the statutes, the decrees, the commands. The psalmist delights in, the psalmist values as precious God's teaching about right and wrong, God's moral instruction, God's vision that he gives in his word of how to live and how the world should work. If there's any part of God's word which we might be tempted to think of as crusty or unattractive, it might be God's commands and God's laws. But no, the psalmist says, these especially I find delightful. Why? Well, let's look at the reasons that the psalmist gives in, in this section of the psalm. I want to look with you at three reasons I see here that he delights in, in God's word. First in verse 9, it's because it's how God's word is how a young person can live a life that's pure, he tells us. Now, when you hear the word pure, what do you think of? Is it a negative thing? Like someone being holier than thou? Or, or like some, do you think of some hard to attain sexual standard that maybe people around you see as old fashioned? What, what is your picture of purity? Well, purity was something that people in the psalmist's culture deeply desired. For one thing, everyone was religious back then. And many of the good times in their lives were the holidays and the parties that revolved for them around religious festivals. Most big parties, most big holidays at that time were religious. And many religions, including the religion of the Old Testament, required you to be ritually pure in order to participate in these good times. To come close to God, so to speak, you had to take a bath to wash up, figuratively or in many cases literally to take off your work clothes and to dress up and put on your party clothes to celebrate. And so in an age where hardly anyone had access to soap, purity was a desirable thing. It was a special thing. It was that good feeling you get after you take a shower when you've been sticky and grungy all day. So purity was a positive thing. Further, nobody likes to go out in public dirty, right? Were you ever at a public event and realized to your horror that on your good clothes, you had a stain you hadn't noticed in a conspicuous place and you're afraid that everyone can see it? Or maybe you spilled ketchup down your front or mustard and you feel dirty, right? You feel self-conscious. You just want to crawl under the table. Well, how would it be like, and some of you maybe have experienced this in the past, to feel this way as a person? to feel dirty, to feel tainted, and you can't wash it off. And you think everyone's looking at you and judging you and shaming you. 
How does it feel to have a life that's filthy and grungy and embarrassing? Well, the psalmist says, I know how to avoid this. The psalmist also knows how to get cleaned up if this has happened to you. That's a different psalm. Psalm 51, I think, is a good one. But, but here the psalmist says, I know how to avoid this. I know how to have a life that's pure and clean. Live your life according to God's word, and you'll learn the way. Second reason the psalmist gives that, that God's word is, is so good. The psalmist says to God in verse 11, I have hidden, or, or, or depending on your translation, stored up or treasured your word in my heart. I've treasured it inside of me. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Verse 11. When we store up God's word inside of us, we're less likely to sin against God. In part, it's a matter of programming. They, programmers say garbage in, garbage out. It, if all around us, we're thinking about what everyone else is doing and, and how that will make us happy, then we're going to be more likely to do what everyone else is doing. But if we're thinking about God's way and why that's a good way and the benefits and the rewards of walking in God's way and what God's way is, if we're getting to know God's word, we're thinking about what God is like and what will please God, then we're going to be more likely to live the way God wants us to live. Have you ever been online like I have and and you thought, I wonder if I'm allowed to copy this image or this video or song or meme that I see here. I wonder if it would be a copyright violation if I just kind of grabbed it, you know, so easy to do, screenshot it. And, and, and then you think, actually, I'm just going to do it. I don't want to know if it's a copyright violation or not. Because if I did know, I might feel a little more guilty about doing it. So I'm just going to do it. As they say, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission, right? Well, the psalmist doesn't have this attitude when it comes to God's word. The psalmist isn't like, you know, I don't want to know all God's commands. I don't want to know. I'll just feel guilty if I do, or I'll struggle with wanting to break them. So better not to know. No, the psalmist has just the opposite attitude. The psalmist has a hunger to know all of God's ways. Because he says, verse 13, uh, 14, and this is the third point here, they are great riches. The third reason the psalmist wants us to get enthusiastic about God's word and even the commands. The psalmist says they're great riches. The psalmist has learned enough and experienced enough about God's ways to realize that it's a better way to live. And so he's hungry to know more. So question. Have you peeled back the onion enough to get to the point to learn what the psalmist has learned, to taste what the psalmist has tasted? Well, let's look now at three ways that the psalmist has peeled the onion, three ways that he's peeled back the layers. First, in, in verse 10, as, as the psalmist has read and remembered and pondered God's word, God's word, he has sought God. When the psalmist spends time with God, it's not just about learning more information about God or being able to check it off your daily to-do list. There, I spent time with God. No, verse 10, he says, 
I seek you with all my heart. I seek you, God, with all my heart. The psalmist is seeking God, looking for God, wanting to get to know God. That's why we spend time with God. It's to find, and, and time in God's word. It's to find God. It's to get to know God better. It's to develop a relationship with God, not just to gain more religious information or theological information. How does the psalmist do it? Well, second, verse 11, he says, I've hidden your word in my heart. Or depending on your translation, I've treasured your word in my heart, or I've stored it up in my heart. Again, the psalmist is not just reading for information to learn more. No, he's valuing God's word. He's holding on to it, no doubt memorizing it, seeking to let it impact him on the inside. And, and then third, here's one very practical point about how he does it. Verse 13, with my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. The psalmist speaks them out loud, maybe to himself, maybe he's teaching or reading to others. Either way, he benefits by speaking God's word out loud. And modern psychologists can tell us why, because speaking something out loud reinforces it by involving more of your senses, more of your brain, it engages your lips, it engages your tongue, your language facilities. And then as we speak it, we also hear it. So it engages our ears and the auditory part as well. And, and so, so here we have three ways the psalmist stores up God's word in his heart. There are, of course, others, but there's three that he mentions in the psalm. By seeking God intently, that's the purpose or the reason that, um, that he's storing it up or, or that he's uh, engaging with God's word. And then second, the psalmist stores it up in, in his heart internally, treasuring it. And then third, very practically, he speaks it out loud. So just three windows into how he peels back the onion. Again, the reason is to seek God. Um, the, the way he's going about it is storing it up in his heart internally. And very practically, one of the ways he's doing is, is speaking it out loud. We'll look at another practical way in just a minute. But, but first, let me pause to say that all of this reminds me of an illustration that, that maybe I've used before about the Alaskan bull moose. Every mating season, the bull moose has only one existential purpose in life. And that is to find and breed the best female that he can. The only problem is there's some fierce competition. And so every fall, males go literally head to head with antlers tangling and smashing together. Imagine the force of a half ton moose crashing into another half ton moose head to head. You wonder if they get concussions. I don't know. But not surprisingly, one of the things that can happen is their antlers often break in these battles. And when they break, the moose's only weapon is gone and it's game over for who won that battle. And so it's actually usually the heftiest moose with the strongest antler who prevails, not surprisingly. And, and therefore, as a result, the real secret for the moose to victory during mating season is the preparation 
that happens months before when the bull mooses eat and eat and eat all summer long. The one that consumes the best, the biggest diet for growing antlers and gaining weight has the best chance during mating season. And that's what the psalmist is, is getting at here. He's encouraging us to, to feast on God's word because it's a diet which over time will, will form our hearts and, and shape our lives and prepare us for the best life possible. And so in verses 15 and 16, the psalmist resolves to keep doing this. I will meditate on your precepts. I will consider your ways. I will delight in your decrees, and I will not neglect your word. Meditating in verse 15 is a powerful image, so we can add that to speaking it out loud um, as, as, a, as a specific strategy. When I was a kid, we, we had a dog, a collie, and my mom from time to time would buy our dog a chewy. And um, it, it, it was hard, it was leathery, and our dog would eat it, but not quickly or easily. And so if you've ever had a dog, maybe you know what, what the dog will do. She, our dog, she would take that chewy and she would chew it and she would chew it maybe for a day or two or three days. I don't remember. It was a long time. She would be gnawing and licking and extracting every ounce of goodness and nourishment out of that thing until eventually it was all gone. And that's a picture of what meditating on God's word is. Meditating is mulling over God's word, thinking about it, reflecting on it, considering it, as the psalmist says, speaking it out loud, memorizing it, treasuring it in our hearts, gaining nourishment from it, and extracting all of its goodness. And all of the while, praying for help, verse 12, God, teach me your decrees. God, I need your help. Teach me. Because we need God's help. We need God to bring his words back to life in our minds and in our hearts so they become more than words on a page. So we get through the crusty exterior. So they become living, personal, potent, and powerful in our lives. Do that. Meditate like that. And it will change your life. Over Not all at once, but a little bit at a time. That's what excavating is about, digging deeper with God in prayer, in God's word. Because it's, it's when we fill ourselves up, not just with information, but with God, with God's ways, with God's mind, with God's heart, that we have a clear moral vision and, and we have the heart desire to live a life that's pure, that it's a good way, that avoids sin and that treasures God above all else. And so we find that it's a life that flourishes as we walk with God, a life without shame, a life of wholeness and blessing and goodness and purpose and impact, all because we feasted and we've learned to delight in God's word and in God. A lot of you are, are probably familiar with, with C.S. Lewis's uh, children's classic book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. One day near the beginning of the story, the, the kids in the story are playing a game of hide and seek. And uh, one of them hides by climbing into an old wardrobe. 
And inside it's cramped, it's dark, it's constraining, except that it's a magic wardrobe. And so as the child slides further back, pushes further in past the old coats, which are hanging there in the wardrobe, the coats begin to turn into pine boughs. And pretty soon the child is in the woods in a different world, an enchanted world, which is big and free and wonderful, Narnia. That's the result of excavation. That's the result of peeling back the onion. That's what the psalmist has experienced with God's word. And even and especially with the commands and the laws that God's word contains. At first, they might seem like they lead to a life like that old wardrobe, which is narrow and cramped and constrained and no fun. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. It might feel like God's a spoil sport. But as you get further in and you catch the vision and the wholeness and the adventure and the beauty and the flourishing of the life that God's word is pointing us toward and that God wants for us, your life begins to open up and you realize it's actually a life full of goodness and wonder and life and purpose and beauty far beyond any life you've ever experienced before. How could it be otherwise if the Bible is God's book? Containing the mind and the thoughts of the one who created us, the one who made the amazing, wonderful world of majestic beauty all around us, the one who is just and fair while also being loving and merciful beyond what we are, the one who is wise and good and only wants what's best for us as human beings. The one who loves the world so much that he's on a mission to rescue it and redeem it. That's all the voice that we find in this book, which is God's book. And so in conclusion, excavation is about digging, digging for God pulling back the layers of of the onion to get to the juicy, tender interior, pulling back the, the, the layers of old, musty coats hanging in the wardrobe to enter the wonderful, enchanted world beyond, digging through the layers of soil to get to the fresh, flowing, life giving and refreshing water of God's presence that sometimes is underneath, isn't erupting onto the surface. And so, Let's conclude back where we started in verse 9, the the first verse of this psalm, uh, which says that a young person can keep their way pure. How? By living according to God's word. Living. The point of God's word, ultimately, is that it has to be lived out. It can't just be heard or read or spoken out loud or even meditated upon or memorized. It has to be tried, experienced, and lived. I think I've shared with you maybe before the the story of Fritz Kreisler. He was a world-famous violinist in the early part of the 20th century. And uh, Kreisler once discovered on his travels uh, as a violinist around the world an exquisite violin that he fell in love with. It was a, a rare extraordinary instrument. 
it belonged to a collector and, and this violinist Chrysler longed to buy it. And so he pulled together the money necessary. It took him a while to get the money. And then he visited the collector, but to his disappointment, the collector refused to sell this prized instrument. Chrysler was, was crestfallen and, and he was about to leave. Uh, but then he, he, he said, you know, could I just play the instrument one more time before it's consigned forever to silence in your collection? The collector agreed and uh, Chrysler picked up this lovely instrument and with his incredible virtuosity, virtuoso, he filled the room with heart moving music. And the collector's emotions were deeply stirred as Chrysler played. And, and finally, the collector blurted out, I have no right to keep that to myself. It's yours, Mr. Chrysler. Take it into the world and let people hear it. That's what the psalmist wants us to do. That's what the psalmist wants to do with his life as he lives God's word. It's what he wants us to do as well. If we don't live it out, we waste it. We waste God's word and we waste our lives. The riches are there in God's word. They're there in our times of prayer with God. The fresh water of God's presence is available to us to change our lives and through us to change the world. And if the world ever needed to be changed, it's now. But, but often, we have to dig for those riches. We have to dig for them day by day and layer by layer. We have to make a habit of excavating. And sometimes it's sweaty, boring, uncomfortable work until we get down to the sweetness. So will you make it a habit in the new year? There, there's the Landscape of Life handout that... Um, goes with this sermon series that we emailed out to you. We emailed it again this past Friday. You can contact the office info at communitybiblechurch.org if, if you didn't, if you don't get the emails. And, and I'd encourage you to use it to reflect this week. We reflected last week on um, eruption times in our life. Reflect this week on seasons of excavation that you've experienced when you felt particularly compelled or motivated to dig for more of God. And you did that. And so you can write down in that section um, what those times were, describe them a little bit, and, and then think about and jot down what riches did you discover? Have you forgotten what they were? Um, and how can you commit yourself to a fresh season of excavation in 2021? Maybe for you, it's reading God's word. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's journaling. How do you feel convicted to excavate for more of God and God's presence in 2021? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It challenges us and makes us feel uncomfortable like that onion does when we peel it. And for us, maybe more than for the psalmist, it's crusty because we're reading it in such a different culture. And yet when we do the work to dig, your presence is still as sweet and powerful and potent as ever. And I pray that you would help us to feel the tug, to feel the conviction, 
to feel the hunger and the desire to seek you this year. In Jesus' name, amen.